Teaching meditation can be a deeply rewarding experience. Help others improve their mental and emotional well-being, reduce stress, improve focus, increase self-awareness and self-regulation, all while deepening your own practice and understanding. Join acclaimed author, Buddhist teacher, and Emmy Award-winning musician David Nickturn on Tuesday, May 28th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for a free online discussion on teaching meditation in Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash be here now for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn on May 28th. I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ram Dass's Love Server Member Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ram Dass, Krishna Das, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more, the Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Metta Hour with Sharon Salzberg, where Buddhist wisdom meets everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Be Here Now Network and features interviews with the top leaders, teachers, and thinkers of the mindfulness movement and beyond. For more information, visit BeHereNowNetwork.com backslash Sharon. Hi, I'm Sharon Salzberg, and before we start, I wanted to say, please be aware that the following episode includes mention of sexual abuse and violence. And I'm delighted to be speaking today with Zainab Salbi. Zainab is a humanitarian, author, and chief awareness officer of Fine Center, a platform for personal development and growth. She's been named by Oprah Winfrey as one of the 25 women changing the world, President Clinton nominated her as a 21st century heroine. At the age of 23, Zainab founded and led Women for Women International, a humanitarian organization that supports women survivors of war. 
Under her leadership, the organization mobilized nearly half a million women in 69 countries, raised $120 million in aid and microloans, and directly supported 420,000 women. She is the author of several books, including the national bestseller Between Two Worlds and her latest, which is Freedom is an Inside Job. She's also the creator and host of several shows, including Me Too, Now What? on PBS, and Through Her Eyes with Zainab Salbi with Yahoo News. Welcome to the podcast, Zainab. What a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Sharon. It's my pleasure. I mean, it's extraordinary to be with you at this time, especially. Um, we're recording uh, August 24th. I'm not exactly sure when the podcast is going to come out, but um, here's a passage from your book, Freedom is an Inside Job, that came out in 2018. And I think there's nothing that could be more relevant than this to this time. In the introduction, you write, as an Iraqi-born Muslim American who has worked most of her life in service to victims of war, especially women, I have lived through instability and unrest, have known dictators and world leaders, have dodged snipers' bullets and fought for justice. But this is not a book of how we got here or who is to blame. This book is about now what? Now that we see ourselves pointing our fingers in accusation at one another, what do we do about this turmoil? So I'm wondering about what spurred you to write that book and really what you're living through now today. Well, um, what triggered me to write this book actually is so interesting. Many stories. I mean, I have seen my identity as an activist for the longest time. And I also built Women for Women and led it in the first 10 years with, you know, when people said, how did you do it? You know, I was like a, a young immigrant woman from Iraq, which was in, in a war with America. And I go and within a couple of years of my arrival to the States, I sat Women for Women, a small organization that ended up having the impact that you mentioned. And so at 29, someone asked me, how did you do that? And I says, I am pissed off. I said, I'm pissed off at injustice. So I led with anger mm -hmm. for the longest time, you know, and I accomplished things with anger until, until a moment in which I actually was in Afghanistan, to be honest, uh, which is what I've been working on in the mm -hmm. last days. And I was in a, in a refugee camp, huge camp, working with women. And this was right after September 11. Um, they were still in transit from Pakistan to, to Afghanistan. And two men walk towards me. And they looked like the Taliban, as far as I know. They had beers and the turbans. And honestly, I did not distinguish clothes. And in my own stereotyping way, all Taliban's look the same. And I was scared of these men. And I whispered to my Afghan colleague, I was like, let's just walk slowly to the car. And then once we get to the car, like rush out of here, these guys are here to kill us. And she squeezed my hand and she said, we cannot do that. We have to wait. If we rush, they will suspect that we're doing something bad with the women and they will hurt the women. So we have to wait. And Sharon, you know, I worked, you know, I, I grew up in war in the Iran-Iraq war. I worked in wars for 20 years and then I became a journalist of war for 10 years. I mean, like war is my, mm -hmm. my, um, 
if I, like, I know it, I know how to work and I don't want to say my comfort zone, but I know mm-hmm, how to operate. Mm-hmm, it. But mm-hmm. that was one of the moments I was scared. Mm-hmm. My heart was beating fast and I was scared. I was scared of the Taliban, you know, and they came, these guys walked to me and my heart is beating and my colleague is squeezing my hands because she knows I'm, I'm nervous. And they walk towards me and they spread their arms and to shake my, my hands. Mm. I was shocked. So, of course, I shook their hands and I'm like nervous. And they said, we are here to thank you. Mm. You made our wives happy. We have not seen them with a smile for a long time. And we are here to thank you. And the thing is, they were not the Taliban. Mm-hmm. They were Afghan men who um, wear their traditional clothing. And I am a foreigner in that context who stereotyped as all of them the same thing. Mm-hmm. And... You know, I shook their hands and, you know, smiled and, you know, obviously was touched by what they were saying. But I was really deeply embarrassed by myself inside because in that moment I realized, oh, my God, I have been fighting for women's rights all this time. And I've been fighting against the stereotyping of women and cornering women as only this or only that. And here I am doing exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Right. I am becoming and like and this is the whispers in my heart that as I'm talking with them politely outward, I was like, oh, my God, I am risking becoming what I'm fighting against. And that took me to a journey of discovery. It's like, you know, this anger that I have at injustice and particularly as it applies to women. Mm -hmm. Okay, it did do things, right? It mobilized hundreds of thousands of dollars to help women, survivors of wars. It mobilized women. But it was chipping away from me, from me. Mm-hmm. And I can't, you know, I can't advocate for something when I'm risking becoming what I'm advocating for. Mm-hmm. And so it took me to the, the discovery. And at first started by talking with men, you know, on trying to discover who are these men in war zones, you know, and mm-hmm. I ended up working with all kinds of men. And I discovered that they're the good, the bad, and the ugly mm-hmm. in, and in wars. I mean, my context was wars. They are the rapists, yes, and they are the ones who refuse to rape. They're the killers and they're the ones who refuse to kill. And in the process of discovery, I was discovering my own prejudices and stereotypes and my own... Um, sort of a division of the world as good and bad in a very simplistic way, right? Mm-hmm. And and it it's then and sometimes these conversations they pushed it on me, you know, they like they forced me to reflect on myself. The process led to freedom is an inside job. It started, you know, and if I am to summarize it, if it's like the, the freedom is an inside job is not an activist book, but I am an activist. And, and, and it was like activism from the broadness of my chest, you know, the mm-hmm. shout. And then the more I worked on myself, I started realizing the more I started embarking on my inner journey, my own inner private ears of, of really trying to understand, am I consistent in my moral values, really, 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 really consistent? Or is there discrepancy between what I'm advocating for and what I'm doing? Even if they are minute ones, even if they are nuanced ones, are there discrepancy? And you know, there are. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. They were, you know, or they are, and they, you know, it's a constant proce- process. And then when I work on these discrepancies and what I call them my shadow self, you know, the is it's humbling because I know it's not easy to work on these issues. Mm-hmm. It became, I was like, oh my God, here I am shouting at people to change, but I, it's much harder to change myself, truly change myself. Uh, you know, and it's it's easy to hide with self, self-righteousness. I'm talking about really questioning every aspect of myself in mm-hmm. my consistency, right? And it became a much, uh, it's, I realized it's a hard process. I realized it's a painful process. And I realized it's a process that requires sacrifice and it has a cost. But, but it's a process that ultimately led me to an alignment with myself, an alignment in my heart and an alignment with my my spine, if I may, my moral spine. You mm-hmm. know, so now I'm still the same woman. I'm the activist. I'm the one who is dedicated my life. And I will try to the last breath I have to advocate for the marginalized voices. It, I started with women and now is everyone, really. And But now I do it much more humbly, I would have to say. And I'm much less angry and much more compassionate even to those I'm tr- I want to change <laughs> or I aspire to change or I mm-hmm. want to change and even to those who I see as the other. I am much, much humbler in my advocacy because it's um I realized that the the rage and the anger was divisive and and that um and I was not looking into my own inconsistencies and when I did it it's humbled me and it now created a different level of connections between me and the other quote unquote, the one I do not agree with. Mm-hmm. And when that happened, a new level of conversations did happen. And I think there are more results happen. Do they always succeed? No. But is it more in alignment with my soul? Yes. Mm. And it's worth it? Yes. And did it give me my own freedom within not as an external freedom, as in democracy or or mobility or whatever, but as a, a freedom within myself, owning my own truest voice and speaking it every moment with with grace. I try. I don't succeed always. I it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a laugh if I succeed always, but I try. I, I'm much more conscious about it right now than I've ever been, and it led to the birth of freedom. Is an inside job. Mm. Thank you so much for for saying that. I think so many people are kind of anxious or um, reluctant to think about that kind of inner work because they feel that uh, they will lose the um, edge that is is leading them to be so involved or so active, and and that they'll kind of think, yeah, it's all right, it's the world, what to do, you know, whatever the images of, of somebody and. Um, it's hard to understand how many sources we can find energy from and commitment and courage and, and so on, because uh, most of us, you know, have not been exposed to a wide variety of, of models, you know, and um, that kind of effort uh, has, you know, by necessity come from outrage so often. And yet, um, you know, there there often is a cost, and it's like when I wrote um, Real Change, which was my last book, I had this thought, you know, just a random thought. I thought, oh, you know what? I want to quote Gandhi um, when he talked about, 
and I don't want to imply that this is about feeling anger. It's about being consumed by anger. Mm-hmm. You know, so I had the thought, oh, I, I want to quote Gandhi when he said, you know, to be lost in anger is to drink poison thinking it's going to kill the other guys. So then I, I looked it up because I wanted to quote it. And I never saw it once attributed to Gandhi. I saw it attributed to Oprah Winfrey and the Buddha and the big book of AA and, you know, a variety of other sources. I have no idea who said it, but there's something in there, you know, about compassion for oneself and how that doesn't lead us to be weak or passive or not care, uh, but to act from a different place. I I love, love what you just shared. And I I was one of the people who I was afraid of working on my inner Mm -hmm. self because I lose my mojo, if you may, my my charm, Mm -hmm. right? And the truth is I thought I did you know, like I, I, you know, I left the organization. I, I found it and led for 20 years. And I thought I, you know, and I went to another journey and I thought like, you know, you know, I have calmed down. I thought I have matured. I mean, like not matured, you know, I'm proud of my work, but I mean that I've gotten older and maybe I don't have that charge anymore and all of that. And I always, I always, I'm sort of obsessed with the, with the Indian goddess Kali, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I associate with her fierceness, you know, the, the, the woman warrior who, you know, defeated the enemy with her courage and sword, but, but lost perspective and all, mm-hmm. and that killing her own army and almost killed her own lover. And that losing of perspective I understand. I mean, you know, I'm, 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 a, you know, a, you know, like shows and all of that, and was one of the people who are obsessed with Game of Thrones and the last episode of the last uh, season when, when the mother of dragons, you know, who fought for justice all her life, and then she lose perspective, and then she start killing everyone. And I, that was my biggest worry. I mean, obviously, I never killed in my life, nor will I. But that the idea that they are, you are harsh on the people around you in the in the activism, right? In my family, my friends, because you're just obsessed and and focus, and it has like uh, you know charge. It's like a Joan of Arc, you know, kind of mm-hmm. charge. But and the flip side, as I the more I start working on myself, the more I indeed. As I said, got kinder and and I started like, you know, in the last two years, to be honest, I've been like gardening and more, much more worried about my garden and my fruits and my vegetables and my flowers and all of that. And I see the world is going through things and I'm like, you know, no, I am, you know, in my 50s now, I'm like in a different phase. And then, and then Afghanistan happened. Mm-hmm. And this is like within a week's time, basically. And I hear our sisters there have been getting, have been assassinated Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. steadily one by one in a very surgical operation by the Taliban. And then I got a call from someone that's like, we need to get them out. And Sharon, you know, if I was a Kali before, fine. And this is good and bad because I was, there was a harshness, right? In that energy. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, you know, the, I don't know, a gardener <laughs> in the last right. years, you know, walking barefoot in my, <laughs> in my garden and just, you know, in a different universe. And I thought that I had put the armors down and it's the, I'm, I'm a different phase of my life. Oh my God. It was like the, 
what are they like the awakening of the Jedi, my friend told me, you know, the return of the Jedi to support <laughs> the Star Wars, you know. <laughs> it's, and I was just like, what? Our sisters are in danger. And again, governments don't pay attention to their rescue. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, uh, like within a week, mobile, I, I cannot say only I because they have just yeah. been amazing women. We mobilize millions of dollars, security operations, all kinds of operations, communication to talk with our sisters in Afghanistan to make sure that we get them to safety and to make sure that there is a plan B for those who stay behind. And, you know, and talking, we, everyone, it's unbelievable. I've been talking with women I know, and I don't know. We're sending each other supports and communicate with each other. And we handing over other women to each other. It's unbelievable. So I did not lose it. Mm-hmm. I did not lose that energy and that charge. I did not. It's still there with me. But I am also the woman who meditates every day now. And mm-hmm. I'm also the woman who gardens. And I'm also the woman who is so much more anchored in my heart and in myself and to God and, and to earth. Mm-hmm. And I think there is a way. Now, uh, Honestly, have you done this interview two weeks ago? I would have said, yeah. oh, I don't know. But now yeah. I can be a warrior and I can be a gardener and I can be fierce and I can be kind. And these, thing, these things do not have to contract, uh, contradict each other. They can be the same, but we can still do it with kindness to ourselves, to each other, and to and to the divine and to earth. We can still do our charge and, and change and activism with far more kindness to ourselves, to each other, and to and to earth and to the divine. You know, so it's a it made me believe, oh no, oh no, it's still there. I will I will continue to do all I can to help. Mm-hmm. But with a different energy and a different force that is much better to me and to others. Well, thank you for all you do. And, you know, I think people can feel the relentlessness, like you're not giving up, you know, and and uh, your energy is so profound and it's so fierce and it's so great. And um, the world certainly needs it. And, you know, those women certainly need it right now, but it's also inviting for the rest of us to think, well, what can I do? You know, what can, how can I be involved? And, um, so it's, it's really pretty tremendous. And you actually taught me something about compassion quite a number of years ago. Uh, I did. Oh. You did. <laughs> okay. Wow. Yeah. I don't think it was the first time we met. I, I'm sure it wasn't, but we were together in Washington, DC at this conference. And, um, you said something in your presentation about, uh, having gone to some more torn country, met a woman, whose story was dreadful and you you were going to come back and relay her story so that people's compassion could be awakened and they could they could feel how terrible the situation was and and participate and donate and you know really start to help people and you said something like at some point in considering this woman and the terrible travail she'd been through that you realized oh I forgot that she was also a lawyer you know, I forgot that she had resource, inner resource. She had skills. She had kind of like inner beauty, you know, like, and you said, I realized that wasn't really compassion because I was missing a whole part of who she was. Yeah. 
And I somehow disconnected from the fullness of her being in, in that kind of uh, singular focus mm-hmm. on, on the problems and the, the difficulties. And it's, you know, when we do that and we do that, you know, as like now everyone is talking about Afghan women, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And we, we drop all their identities, mm-hmm. make them into a singular identity. Afghan woman, oppressed woman, right? And, you know, I'm a woman from Iraq, yeah, you know, yeah. it's, it's the same stereotype, you know, and I have to, and I'm a Muslim woman, right? And when people reduce my identity or my people's identity to only oppressed women mm-hmm. or only uh, oppressed uh, oppressive men or only terrorists and all of that, it is a violation it is a, a, a mental and emotional violation because it is erasing the beauty, the kindness, the love of one's culture and one's beliefs and one's families. And, and, and to erase it and just say, you, oh, those people means this. Mm-hmm. It is, I can't tell you how much it upsets me. Now, it always upsets me. Here's the difference. And this is to, to tell you that the reform <laughs> after, <laughs> after working on the freedom is an inside job. Before, someone gives me a stereotype of my people, let's say, right? And says, oh, Muslims are all terrorists and all of that. I would just like get very angry and get upset, you know, because it's not true. And it's a violation. And it, yes, they are people who are Muslims who are horrible criminals, Mm -hmm. just like there are people who are Christians and Buddhists and Jewish Mm -hmm. and all kinds who are horrible criminals. And I'm not talking about only mundane criminals. I'm talking also about terrorists and I've done some horrible things in the world, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like, yes, it's true, but by far they do not represent an entire civilizations and nations and countries and cultures. Like it's impossible to say all Christians are one thing. Impossible, Mm -hmm. right? Or all Americans are one thing Mm -hmm. or all Texans are one thing. So like it's impossible. So that's how it feels. So before I would get upset and, you know, and when I would get upset at the person who was saying, you know, I, I could see it. They were shut down. Their walls drops down immediately. And I could see it and it becomes a, an, a competition of who's right and who's wrong, you know, a, an ego competition. I'm right, they're wrong, and they're saying they're right, and I'm wrong, and that. And now, and now when I hear this, because these stereotypes have not changed necessarily, they're still, I'm using one of them only, right? And now I'm just like, okay, what are they afraid of? Or I actually acknowledge, uh, either I ask, what are you afraid of? Or or acknowledge the fear, because I know this fear, people are worried about their own lives or their own, you know, life, a way of life or culture or country, whatever. And they acknowledge that fear. And often to help me in that, I must show my own vulnerability and my own fear. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I imagine it, two people having two walls between them. And in or, the only way to truly see each other, to truly, truly see each other is for one of us to take a leap of faith and drop the walls around us. And, and that's, you know, for me is I have to take that leap of faith. If I want it, if I want to drop the walls, then I have to take that leap of faith and, and show vulnerability and show what I'm scared of and show my hurt and show my feelings in, a, in an authentic and truthful way, not in a defensive way. And 
when I did that, 90%, the other person who I would say, oh my God, you're racist, prejudiced, that is sexist, that all of these things. You know, when I tell them these labels, they shut down. Mm -hmm. They become defensive. When I say, this is, this is, what are you afraid of? And where is that fear coming? And, and then acknowledge the fear that I can acknowledge and correct the fear that I think it is not correct. It's not, it's, it's a merit. It's a, a stereotype and tell them about my own feelings and my fear. 90% people say, thank you so much for speaking with us like this. Mm. Come around. Thank you so much for not yelling at us. Say, thank you so much for educating us. Thank you so much for opening our eyes. But they do not put their walls. And there is a 10% who, yes, is helpless, but it's, uh, you know, so yes, I can't say it's a hundred percent guarantee, you know, mm -hmm. but at least I did not lose myself. I did not get into my uh, self-righteousness and then yes, g demonstrate my point of view, but have a bitter taste in my in myself, mm -hmm. my mouth, because I was aggressive or I was mean or I was this because these others are like this, right? And so it's, that's what I call, like, how do we compassionately go about our activism from a place of humbleness? And there's a place of fierceness. Mm -hmm. I am in this fierce moment right now as I speak with you, mm -hmm. uh, with, with our sisters in Afghanistan. But even in that fierceness is how do we speak with the other where we bring them as allies rather than disconnect them and separate them and create even further division, you know? And so, um, so and, and to do that, one of the, the ways to do that is to speak about each other in their fullness of identity, to go back to your story, in the fullness of identity. She can be a victim of war and a lawyer and educated and has a lipstick on and raped and displaced, and, and they're all true. Mm -hmm. They're all true. We cannot, we don't have to separate and limit one's identity to one or the other. So I, I reread your book uh, to prepare for the podcast. And, and I was really struck by the story of the Zen retreat that you mm. attended because it was such a turning point in terms of kind of the stories we adapt about who we are and who we're supposed to be and what other people have told us we're supposed to be. and actually loosening the grip of all of that. So I was wondering if you could say something about that. Yeah, I mean, that's, um, it happened right after uh, Trump got elected and it was an imposed a Muslim ban. And, you know, I mean, I am um, an immigrant here mm -hmm. and I, you know, one of the people who can go back to my country is destroyed. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's literally destroyed, you know. Yeah. My entire family, except for an uncle and an aunt are all refugees right now in the last 20 years after mm -hmm. the Iraq invasion. And so when the Muslim ban happened, it was really shaking to my core, like because this is America is where I'm safe, mm -hmm. right? This mm -hmm. is home. And I love this country. And then I'm told, you may be evicted from this country and you mm -hmm. may be, you know, like I'm not welcome. Then it was shaking to my core. And it was also a, a turbulent time in America, you know, yeah. right before the election. And so, um, and I had done, you know, I had done some major project in the Middle East for Arab women and it wasn't going very well. So I went to this Zen retreat because I needed to be silent, not because I didn't know much actually about Zen Buddhism. You know, I, mm -hmm. um, I just really needed to be silent. And 
it was really amazing because the first day my my brain was chattery, you know, da, 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 you mm-hmm. know, all of that. The next day it was chatting, but it was at, like it went to all the points that I had talked about, like I was worried about. And it dig, it dug deeper and deeper and deeper into this. Like, you know, it's almost like you have a pimple and you're like, <laughs> the pus come out, right? And I just went with that with every point that was um that was in my mind. And the third day, I actually, I mean, it's a very, um, you know, I was even embarrassed to say it for the longest time is I felt I failed. Mm-hmm. I failed in, in this project that I had put all myself in it, you know, um, a, a show for, for women in the Middle East. And, you know, it, it got the praises of Oprah, as you mentioned, and many others in the Western world, but in the Arab world, it did not. It got, if I, anything, I got attacked. And so I felt I failed and I was embarrassed that I failed, especially after my success at Women for Women. Mm-hmm. But it was, you know, the third day when I like, I called it, you know, it was failure. I called it. It's like, oh my God, that is why I'm so obsessing about this. Fourth day, my soul felt like flying out of my body in absolute liberation and joy. And it was just because I had like, it's broken away from whatever I called the fear. I called it. I was afraid to call it that I failed. Mm-hmm. Right. And once that happened, it just, I was joyful. And I, I just remember the joyfulness in my soul. I actually felt it's outside of my body. It was unbelievable. And I came home after that and I called all the people who supported me to make that show possible. And I said, I failed. Like mm-hmm. I called them and I told them the truth of how I felt, you know, and I was mm-hmm. like, this is how I felt. This is how I feel. I am really sorry. I'm embarrassed that I failed, but I need to tell you I failed. And the most beautiful thing happened. I mean, I, almost everyone hugged me or what it, if, it's, if it was a call, they laughed even. They're like, are you kidding? Mm-hmm. You no, know, not at all. You know, you're defining it like this, but we see it like this. Not at all. And I, and (laughs) some people's like, are you kidding? We're just doubling what we're like, you know, our support for you. And, and it just like, it just created because honest in my, here's the, the summary. I had to be honest with myself. When I got to the honesty to with myself and calling the issue that I'm ashamed of, that moment of shame, that issue of shame, once I called it, I got liberated from its boundaries, from its prison. Mm. And once I then communicated it with others, I created more allies than enemies. I created more friends than cynics I, because I was authentic and truthful. And I, these friends that I called and told them that, they're like my soul friends right now. You know, like it was an honest thing and then and ev- and it and it moved away it's just it's 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 gone right but mm-hmm. i call I'm, I'm telling you i mean we don't talk about our failure mm-hmm. <laughs> we're embarrassed to talk about failure all these talks i would talk only about our accomplishments about our successes but we don't talk and we do say oh people come fail and succeed and they learn but i don't remember many people talking about the exact failure and how it made them feel which is horrible mm-hmm. Sh- right and and yet talking with you about it right now and writing about it mm-hmm. it became 
it did contribute to my honestly humility. Mm-hmm. You know, that I can't do it all. Honestly, freedom, uh, uh, my authenticity. You know, it's just like it. It did teach me a lot. It did. And what's most important I learned is in um, from frail- failure is that we can we have a choice of being bitter about it mm-hmm. or being grateful for it. And when we're bitter, is because I think we're attached to the acknowledgement from people. You know, we're attached to the, the feedback we get uh, from people. And I was bitter for maybe two seconds, you know, until I asked myself the question, did I do this project for acknowledgement or because I believe uh, in that or because Forgive me even for saying that, but because I am someone who really loves God a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, very. or was I doing that as part of my service, you know, to God? Mm-hmm. And the truth is, it was out of my love and out of my service to God. And once I realized that this is what I did that, and I failed, and I, you know, forgive me, God, for failing, but I tried. Mm-hmm. I tried my best. There was zero bitterness in my mouth. Zero. Mm-hmm. Mm. because I did and I failed I tried and I failed but it was for God not for people mm-hmm. to acknowledge and to say celebrate blah 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 mm. you know that's that's and that was that was a turning moment in my life of letting go letting that failure go and being grateful for it and of course failure is is quite relative when you're talking about the immensity of suffering in this world you know um yeah. I also think of uh, this time I did this project for uh, first domestic violence shelter workers for the frontline staff and then for directors and supervisors of the shelters. And at one point, one of the one of the directors said, um, I had to learn the difference between something that was urgent and something that was an emergency. And of course, now we you know, right now we are in an emergency, but um even then, you know, there's there's a kind of balance that I think we can bring, and that's often left out. Like that very woman who said that uh, when people were talking about how to try to change the culture of where they were working, and you know, culture might mean like your body and mind, it might mean your team, it might mean anything. Um, she said, "I think I have to start taking a lunch break." and and everyone in the room who did not work in a shelter was completely aghast. And we said, you don't take a lunch break? Like, mm-hmm. isn't it in your contract? And she said, oh, yeah, but there's never enough time. There's too much to do. And it's so overwhelming. And people are suffering. But she said, you know what? I can't go on unless I start doing that. And as the story goes, you know, she, we were meeting with people in between retreats. And she came in the first time. And she said, uh, it didn't work. I closed the door and somebody crouched down and looked through the keyhole. And they saw I was in there, so I didn't get a break. And then maybe three weeks later, she came back and she said, it worked. I closed the door and turned off the light and I got a break. And I thought probably the hardest part of that whole story was feeling I need this and I'm going to do it. It's not selfish. It's not ridiculous. It's not beside the point. You know, I've got to find some way of getting some respite, getting some peace, getting a break, even if it's brief, so that I can go back with like real intensity and, and not just burn out. So it's That's very true. hard, you know, especially when it is an emergency. 
Um, and it's not just something urgent to remember, like, I've got to sleep, you know, or. Well, I mean, the cause I came to learn the very hard way, the cause does not require us to self-sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Whatever we are fighting for, this woman who is serving a women's shelter, right, mm-hmm. does not require her to suffer. It, you know, and I learned that, oh my God, the hard way, because I squeezed my soul. I left nothing for me. And until I realized when you're operating out of empty, Mm -hmm. you are not your best, not your best. You know, you're short with people, you're tired, you're exhausted, you're miserable, whatever it is, whatever the, however the symptoms shows Mm -hmm. in each person, right? When you operate out of fullness, like fullness, the, the full sleep, the full meal, mm-hmm. the full everything, like the, the that I take care of my body, that I'm yeah. exercising, that I am like meditating, that I'm all, then everything is a flow, is a flow. And it is really hard for those in service to do that, really hard. I mean, I learned it the hard way because, okay, so I gave, 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 gave and then at the end, I am at empty. Mm-hmm. So what's the point? Like where, where, where you not, it's not what's the point, but like you are at empty, you can't give anymore. Right. And now I prioritize, honestly, I, I prioritize, I sleep very well. I have like my seven rules for a happy day. I call it. Oh, can we hear it? <laughs> it's not happiness because happiness is an exaggerated, uh, uh, promise, you mm-hmm. know, ha- there, you know, for me is contentment, but happy day is, I sleep my eight to nine hours a day. I do. I drink lots of water. I eat healthy. I go and be in nature. Even if I touch a tree somewhere, if I'm in a city, Mm -hmm. right? Be in nature. I meditate. I don't call meditation. I call it an appointment with my heart. I call it like I, I, so I, but, but it is meditation. But when I call it appointment, I really abide by it. You know, I go to, and, and meet with my heart. Uh, this is five now. I do something in the art because it's important. So anything. I mean, I, 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 I retaught myself recently to play piano. So even if it's 10 minutes of that, you know, and I work on my purpose. I fulfill my purpose for that day. And they're very basic, right? This is about drinking water, eating, <laughs> walking, you know, music. But that's my happy day. That is my happy day, you know. And it's and the days I don't do this, not very good days. And obviously, it's impossible sometimes to do all of this, but at mm-hmm. least enough of them that are happening, I'm okay. I can carry myself through. So fullness, because fullness, our fullness does not betray us. Nor does it betray others, nor betray our cause. Our scarcity betrays mm-hmm. ourselves, right? And so, and, and the cause is not telling us, oh, for you to be a person in service, you need to be miserable. No, 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 no. For you to be a person of service, you need to be embodying what you're aspiring for. You want women to be happy, then you need to be happy. You want women to be free, you become free. You want women to be independent, you become independent. You want your children to do this, you become this. That is, for me, the cause. That's what it's asking of us. And it has discipline, and that does not come out of self-sacrifice, you know, but it comes out of fullness. Now, there are moments in time where we do that. 
as I'm speaking with you, there are moments in time when like all of us are off, mm -hmm. but we need to do that, right? And it's okay. There are moments in history where we have to show up. Mm -hmm. These are mm -hmm. unique moments that everyone has to show up. But that's not every moment. That is not every day. That's not every year. There are moments that happens and we need to show up. And there are moments that we need to take care of ourselves. And the cause does want us <laughs> to become what we are aspiring for yeah. in so let's talk about this moment in time in Women for Women International and, and how people can help support that work. Well, I, I no longer, uh, you know, uh, yeah. lead Women for Women. And I have to tell you, as the founder of Women for Women and, and build it from zero to, you know, um, hundreds of millions of dollars uh, of, uh, or, or like raising uh, more than $146 million mm -hmm. for and women, I am as proud of leaving the organization mm -hmm, as mm -hmm. I am of founding it because it's like there are lots of people who can found organizations. Not many people uh, leave the org, but that's leave the organization. But that is not even why I'm proud of it, because in the leaving there's a humility because it's your identity becomes about who am I if I am not associated mm -hmm. with the organization. And it, and, it, and it really, truly led me to the search of who am I if I am not my job? Yeah. Who am I if I am not my, my books? And who am I? Who am I truly if I'm not what the society is putting label on me? And that finding that answer is like an arrival for me. It's an arrival to my, my, my soul. It's like a ship docking in its base, basically. And that has nothing, nothing, nothing to do with who am I as the world labeled me, mm -hmm, you know? Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's who am I is an inner, inner unity between me and my soul um, that only I know what and when that there is comfort, then there is um, peace. Now, but I didn't want to distract from Women for Women. Now, Women for Women and many other organizations, to be honest, it's like, you know, now uh, I'm like advocating for everyone and anyone who's doing work in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. um, Women for Women is one of them. Vital Voice is one of them. Uh, Women for Afghan Women is one of them. There are many, many organizations. And these are uh, different groups who are basically taking turns in helping different women in different cases. Mm -hmm. uh, some to survive inside the Taliban, which we're very worried about, some to survive while they exit, um, you know, and relocate mm -hmm. to another country. And and mostly to, like, keep, keep a commitment, a commitment to keep the Afghan women's voices on and loud for as long as we are alive. I will, I, and I'm not, I'm, I'm many, I'm one of many, we will not forget about them as they embark on a dark phase in their lives. We will not forget about them. Well, thank you for that. I, uh, I'm just going to um, bring up a quotation from your book and then ask you if you would lead us in a practice. And we'll maybe put some of those organizations um, in like the notes so that people can access them if they... Uh, perhaps don't know where to go to to try to support that effort. Um, so here's a quotation from you, <laughs> which says, only when we tell the truth can there be healing. Which I, you know, associate with everything you've said and everything you described in mm -hmm. terms of founding the organization, uh, leaving the organization, your retreat, um, the balance that you've, 
looked toward, you know, ever since. And um, there are layers and layers and layers of truth, you know, how we stereotype others, how we uh, miss things, how we learn things, all of that. So uh, I don't know if there's anything you'd like to say about telling the truth. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have operated uh, with this um, mission to myself, you know, is that I need to live the truth, tell the truth, be my truth, you know. And, you know, the truth is sharing is not easy. Yeah. Oh, it's really not easy. It's uh, to to do that, to truly be in, in alignment with your truth as often as possible. It questions everything in life. You know, it questions what I buy, who I buy it from, yeah. <laughs> what I eat, who I eat it from. Like it questions everything. Like it, it, being morally consistent in truth is hard, but it is worth it. It is worth it. But it, but it, it's hard because then you're not like everyone else, you know, mm-hmm. and you're like the odd duck always, you know, uh, or often. And it's it's hard, but it is worth it because at night one can sleep in in um, in alignment. Like, you know, you, there is a sleep. You can sleep. But then I have to tell you, I mean, you know, now I have a new mission. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, truth, the truth states. The truth is, is uh, once you tell the truth, you get liberated from fear and the fear of the secrets, right? And mm-hmm. so it's almost an addictive process of telling the truth, you know, because you know it's it has liberation in it. And so the truth stays. But then a couple of years ago, I was in a very good time in my life. You know, I had my show at Yahoo News. I had, you know, you know, my, you know, my, like sort of my journalistic career was picking up and this was doing well. And I had a, a nice partner and all of these things. It's like, check, 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 you know, close vacation, career, yada, yada, you know, all of it. Check, check, check. And then overnight I get rushed into the hospital. Mm-hmm. I'm in. I see you and I am, you know, struggling to take my breath, struggling to take my breath. And there was a moment in which I truly believe this was the last breath. Mm. And in that very intimate moment, very intimate moment, you know, there were doctors around and hospital and nurses and trying to put oxygen on me. The word that came out of me in that moment was not you know, my accomplishments or anything. Honestly, the word came, did I live? The the word came as kindness. Mm. And the question came, did I live my life in kindness to myself and to others? Did I live my life in love to myself and to others? That was the intimate conversation that in that last breath, what I thought was going to be the last breath. That was the question. Not whether I accomplished this or that. Mm-hmm. And it it really brought me down to my knees, you know, it really did. Because, you know, you 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 it it there's a high when you accomplish things, you know, and it's sort of like, ah, yes, I can do that. Like there's a again, John of Arc warrior kind mm-hmm. of thing, right? And and then, then then you fall on your knees. And you know, and and it took me months and months and months and months where to of healing for my physical health, but but questioning my my ultimate question of who am I? Mm-hmm. And that is when I had like you know you know to lead. It's not a meditation that I have. What it what came to me is 
in my hours of meditation, because that's the only thing I could do, was my heart giving me its arm, its, its hand and holding my hand and said, don't leave me again. Mm. Don't leave me again. So here I am, you know, from an outside perspective, it's a woman living her truth, living her purpose, da, 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 but that I was not holding my heart's arm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and over the time and the month I learned, I, uh, the years that followed, I learned that the heart has its language and I need to learn. We all can learn the language of the heart. It is wise. It is kind. It's wise. Forget about anything else. It's very wise. And that the only way I can learn that language of the heart is if I actually make the appointment with my heart every single day. You know, and that's why I call it appointment. My, mm-hmm. my meditation is my appointment with my heart. And, you know, and I like, and it's like everything in, in life change. You know, if I looked at the, all the ugliness of humanity, I started looking at the beauty humanity creates. If I looked at all the injustice, I also looked at all the things that we are doing good. And if I took nature for granted, nature was my cheerleaders in that time. And so I then decided that, with a new a reiteration of my mission, which is I want to contribute all I can mm-hmm. to helping people to connect to their hearts, to each other, and to earth and the divine in a new way, in a new way. And because, and, and because if I could do it, then everyone else can do it. And Sharon, you have done it much, much before than I could. I mean, mm-hmm. so you're you're much wiser in, uh, in knowing that truth than I. I only discovered it recently. And I understand now your path and your journey far more than I understood it 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And appreciate it. And, and so, so, I mean, I always appreciate and respect it. But now, like, I understand it at my, as in, in my DNA. And so from, from that came, you know, find center. You know, it's a... Mm-hmm. It's a a platform that my friend Neil Goldman and I and a few others put together, which is um, a place where everyone, where we're sharing sort of the conversations we talked about, you know, it's sort of a find center and find your center is sort of a, a play mm-hmm. on words. It's a, it's a platform for personal growth and development. So for anybody who's looking at that, to go to one place where it has knowledge and wisdom of all time mm-hmm. in one place and where we are sharing not our holidays and see what I've done here today, you know, to be happy, but sharing our journey of discovery inward in of, of our inward discovery and of our finding our heart center. And in, it, it's been a, a, a joyful discoveries because, you know, we know who we know of teachers, right? And yeah. I'm, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not a, a You've studied this. I, 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 you know, I, my path was different for the longest time. And now I'm like obsessed because I discovered this 16th century Kashmiri poetess and 12th century Iraqi poetess. Mm-hmm. They're all spiritual leaders who have spoken and whose knowledge has always been there, but just not resurfaced to the public in a new way. Right. And of course, there is the teachers like yourselves and others who are part of it as well. But it's like a play, a home where where the play is is the discovery of our of the wisdom of all time and our own wisdom, where everyone is a teacher and our everyone is a student. And so, with that, I would want to share perhaps one of my favorite mm-hmm. poems of all time. 
um, um, and it's coming really just to, it's a Rumi. I, I love Rumi. It's a 13th century Sufi poet. I'm sure most of your audience know him. And he, it's, it says it's called the guest house. And it says, this being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if they are a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delights. The dark thought, the shame, the malice. Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. And Sharon, you know, I have, you know, I've been raped. I have been in an abusive marriage. I've been displaced. I've lost, I haven't seen my, I didn't see my family for nine years. The house I grew up in became an execution center. I lost my country to destruction. And I tell you one thing, and I worked with women survivors of wars. And I tell you one thing, I am so deeply grateful, so, so deeply grateful for everyone who contributed to making my life story what it is. Mm. Even those who have hurt me the most, I am so deeply grateful for them because they have each led me to arrive to my own heart center. Wow. I mean, thank you so much for, for all of that. And, um, you know, it's, you are such a model, really. Uh, I know you don't like to think of yourself that way, probably, but, um, you know, that, that was really like in my life, uh, it was kind of the central question, you know, since everybody suffers, not to the same degree at all, but everybody suffers and, and how some people confront that suffering and they do get bitter and isolated. They feel so alone and uh, other people confront the suffering, sometimes much graver suffering. And and there's some quality of, of love and kindness for themselves, for others, of, of faith, something that emerges. Um, and I, I certainly had teachers like that. And uh, I think of you like that, you know, very much so. So um, it's so important for us to know that as hard as it is and as challenging as it is, that we can really create something beautiful out of our lives, whatever that life looks like, um, and that we have that capacity and we have one another. So thank you. And um, I want to say to learn more about Zainab's work, you can visit www.findcenter.com. It's F-I-N-D-C-E-N-T-E-R.com. Thank you to everyone listening. This has been the Meta Hour podcast from the Be Here Now Network. Hey folks, thanks for listening. To learn more about Sharon and her ongoing teaching schedule, as well as online courses and a free guided meditation, check out her website at SharonSalzberg.com.